0: Annihilation. 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 Eternal undines split the pure water. Venus, sister of Azure, stir up the clear wave. Wandering Jews of Norway tell me of snow. Old beloved exiles tell me of the sea. Myself? No. No more of these pure drinks. These water flowers for glasses, neither legends nor faces quench my thirst. Singer, your godchild is my thirst so mad. A mouthless, intimate hydra, which consumes and ravages. Arthur Rimbaud, The Soul Brian Baker, The Geometry of the Space Age, J.G. Ballard's short fiction and science fiction of the 1960s, explains, Quote, in Ballard's early fictions, the physical world is an exterior manifestation of a psychological landscape. As Andrej Gassioric puts it in his book J.G. Ballard, the events depicted exteriorize psychological adjustments and transformation. Space is psychologized, and so the boundary between inner and outer worlds becomes blurred. End quote. While annihilation may inherently be Ballardian, Baker says, quote, Ballad protagonists are only too eager to embrace the transformative possibilities of the disaster, even if this is at the cost of personal dissolution. End quote. However much Radic and Ventress gave in willingly to their transformation, Shepard and Thornsim are killed while fighting, and Lena will next minute shoot this alien being when it becomes humanoid. In coming on this mission, she may have been risking self-destruction, but counter to Ventress's theories, Lena does not embrace her own destruction. She already destroyed her marriage and sent her husband off on a suicide mission. She seeks something more constructive, so Annihilation may be a Ballardian story, but Lena is not necessarily a Ballardian heroine. David Punter, The Hidden Script, Writing in the Unconscious, suggests that Ballard challenges conventional encodings of human subjectivity. Quote, the long tradition of enclosed and unitary subjectivity comes to mean less and less to him as he explores the ways in which a person is increasingly controlled by landscape and machine, increasingly becomes a point of intersection for overloaded scripts and processes which have effectively concealed their distant origins from human agency. End quote. That is to say, in Ballard's fiction, or in Ballardian fiction, written by, in this case, Jeff Vandermeer, translated to the screen by Alex Garland, Explicated here in this show by Professor Robert E. G. Black, characters are not necessarily acting as much as reacting to alien forces, to strange geography, to group dynamics, to cultural influences, to societal norms. Lena was supposed to be a good wife, a faithful wife. Kane was supposed to be a good husband, a faithful husband. Whenever the sexual affair began between Lena and Daniel, the film implies that there was already some distance and disconnect between Lena and Kane. He remained active in the military. She moved to teaching biology, and like that scene on the couch in Minute 83, they had their own things to read, but might still say hey from opposite sides of an ever-lengthening divide forming between them. Baker continues, citing Gregory Stevenson's Out of the Night and Into the Ocean, a thematic study of the fiction of J.G. Ballard. Quote, He focuses upon subjectivity itself as crucial and constitutive framing of human experience. Perhaps, as Gregory Stevenson insists, There is a thirst for transcendence in Ballard's fiction, a move towards an absolute, authentic being, an ontological Eden. Jump ahead to the end of the film, a transformed husband and wife driven from the Shimmer's Eden. But it is subjectivity itself, and its corollary and condition, time, that first must be dissolved. End quote. Lena ended things with Daniel. Kane returned, transformed. But still cane enough to drive Lena's need as a scientist to solve his transformation, and in so doing to solve the marital divide. Even if it means she is transformed in the process. It is not an eager embrace, per se, but it is a willing one. Lena made it to the lighthouse because the force that consumes her the most is still an external one, in a way, her marriage to Cain. <laughs> That's the Mark Place. Lena stands just right of center frame. The tunnel exit behind her to the right. The left half of the frame is dominated by the mandelbulb form of the alien. Its Gothic architecture surface flowing from the lit maw at its front to its rear. Constant movement, constant change. But let us move backward in time, even if time must perhaps be dissolved for Lena to escape. Jesus Nahara explains some basics in medium. 12th August, 2020. Quote, Captivated by the motion of waves and mesmerized by the perfectly imperfect symmetry of leaves, it's crystal clear we're a pattern-seeking species. Externally, studies have proven that we use patterns to weigh our environment of danger. A disruption in our daily routine, particularly back in hunter-and-gatherer societies, signals to our conscious that something is off. Internally, patterns are inscribed in our DNA. In an energy conservation effort, most biological processes are duplicative and are therefore likely to generate a visual form indicative of patterns. The branch of math centered around the study of continuous patterned, yet irregular scalar symmetry is known as fractal geometry. The story for modern fractals traces back to the 17th century when René Descartes first introduced the concept of graphing a polynomial function. As elegant and evolutionary as they were, we, i.e. the math community, eventually noticed a glaring issue in this definition. They failed to easily, predictably trace out the patterns noticed IRL. Using absurdly long and convoluted polynomials in an attempt to graph highlighted obvious shortcomings. They were missing a key, required shift in frame of reference. The trick to mathematically mapping organic patterns is to not analyze them as they are, but rather to think of what it took to produce them. They were missing the principle of iterations. Evolutionary forces carve out the most effective processes for a species and then repeat that process. Thus, nature is commonly organically generative. A more familiar, universal example of this is the famed Fibonacci sequence seen in sunflower patterns and spiral shells. A core reason for its popularity is that its intricacy is generated by iterating a stunningly simple sequence. The Fibonacci sequence is the simplest example of an iterative function but it does the trick in highlighting its generative nature. For each new iteration, the input used is simply the output from the preceding iteration. It's a basic but simple example of a fractal. Fractals, the crux of fractal geometry, are infinitely complex and detailed patterns that are self-similar across different scales. They're mathematical objects created by recursions of functions in the complex space. As we'll see shortly, fractal geometry brings us much closer to replicating the irregularities and intricacies that surround us. End quote. We've not even gotten to Gaston Julia or Benoit Mandelbrot, and one can already see how the Mandelbulb is a thematically appropriate structure for Lena to be inside both the shimmer edge and the interior walls of this subterranean chamber, and to be facing the being itself. Except really that one is inside the other, inside the other. It's just the fractal form acting appropriately, even if also metaphorically. Recall J.G. Ballard's own essay, Which Way to Inner Space?, referenced in minute 16 of this show and shared in entirety in minute 58. He argued, for example, quote, The biggest developments of the immediate future will take place not on the Moon or Mars but on Earth, and it is inner space, not outer, that needs to be explored. The only truly alien planet is Earth. In the past, the scientific bias of SF has been towards the physical sciences, rocketry, electronics, cybernetics and the emphasis should switch to the biological sciences. Accuracy, that last refuge of the unimaginative, doesn't matter a hoot. What we need is not science fact, but more science fiction. More precisely, I'd like to see SF becoming abstract and cool, inventing fresh situations and contexts that illustrate its theme obliquely. For example, instead of treating time like a sort of glorified scenic railway, I'd like to see it used for what it is one of the perspectives of the personality, and the elaboration of concepts such as the time zone, deep time, and archaeopsychic time. I'd like to see more psycho-literary ideas, more metabiological and meta-chemical concepts, private time systems, synthetic psychologies and space-times, more of the somber half-worlds one glimpses in the paintings of schizophrenics, all in all of a complete speculative poetry and fantasy of science. I firmly believe that only science fiction is fully equipped to become the literature of tomorrow and that it is the only medium with an adequate vocabulary of ideas and situations. By and large, the standards it sets for itself are higher than those of any other specialist literary genre, and from now on, I think, most of the hard work will fall not on the writer and editor, but on the readers. The onus is on them to accept a more oblique narrative style, understated themes, private symbols, and vocabularies. The first true SF story, and one I intend to write myself if no one else will, is about a man with amnesia lying on a beach and looking at a rusty bicycle wheel, trying to work out the absolute essence of their relationship between them. If this sounds offbeat and abstract, so much the better, for science fiction could use a big dose of the experimental. And if it sounds boring, well, at least it will be a new kind of boredom. End quote. Suzanne M. Daughton, Critical Studies in Mass Communication, 1996, explains, specifically regarding Groundhog Day, quote, Phil Connors must embark on what is traditionally a feminine rather than a masculine quest, journeying inward in order to encounter and submit to the power of the dark goddess, rather than outward in order to master and claim some object in the external world. Groundhog Day presents one man's metaphorical journey away from the stereotypically masculine pursuit of power and agency, the drive to control his life and the people and events in it. Paradoxically, his journey is only possible by staying in one physical place. Which subverts the traditional masculine theme of romantic quest, where the hero must travel far away to meet his challenges, and replaces it with a feminine initiation ritual. End quote. Annihilation, then, is the reverse, or a twisting of Groundhog Day. Lena's metaphorical journey is only possible by venturing into this faraway and even immeasurable place, the Shimmer, on something like the traditionally masculine quest. Except for Lena and the other women in her party, the only reason they go on the external quest is to deal with internal struggles. Dotton continues, quote, Groundhog Day is thus a parable about the redemption through feminization of the stereotypically sexist American male. End quote. Is annihilation a parable about the redemption through masculinization of the stereotypical American female? Lena, with her military background, is not a stereotypical American female as such. Her journey is not the paradox that Dotton suggests Phil Connor's journey is. Except inasmuch as the only way in is out, Ballard would appreciate it. Doughton continues: quote, "Events conspire to push him beyond the search for power to the recognition of and identification with other, including women and working-class men, and finally to the acceptance of spirit and communion with feminist consciousness-raising and spiritual consciousness-expanding results." End quote. <laughs> Take care. Jesus Nahara, Medium, 12 August 2020. Quote, The prequel to modern fractal geometry begins in the early 1900s with a young protagonist by the name Gaston Julia. A curious collegiate student fascinated with music and mathematics, he was particularly drawn to complex numbers and functions. His contribution to modern fractal geometry started when his attention was piqued by the 1879 paper by Sir Arthur Cayley, The Newton Fourier Imaginary Problem. In it, Cayley sought out the roots of the equation. Function z equals z to the third plus c equals zero, using the Newton Raphson iterative method. Since there are three roots, he wondered if one could predict which of the three roots a given starting value of z would reach as a limit. He failed in his quest and left readers with the open challenge appears to present considerable difficulty. While Cayley's solution to finding basins of attraction for each root through iteration was indeed on the right track, the technology of his time limited his perspective. The shape of these basins is infinitely complex, providing us with an accurate preview of the scalar symmetry we see in fractals. Unfortunately, life abruptly interrupted Gaston's academic endeavors midway through his academic career at the University of Paris when he was drafted and scripted into joining the army for World War I. Compounding his misfortune, in 1915 he lost his nose and was nearly blinded, awarded the Legion of Honor for his valor. Julia, unfortunately, had to wear a black strap across his face for the rest of his life. Jump forward at Pierre Fatou and enter Benoit Mandelbrot. Benoit's entry to the field was inspired by nature. The first relevant publication for modern fractals is found in his 1975 investigative report, How Long Is the Coast of Britain? Statistical Self-Similarity and Fractional Dimension. In it, he explores geographical curves and discovers that while they're undefinable, they are Statistically self-similar. Each portion can be considered a reduced-scale image of the whole. In that case, the degree of complication can be described by a quantity d that has many properties of a dimension, though it is fractional. Mandelbrot, who was born in 1924 in Poland, had read the work of both men and studied under Julia in the 1940s. Thus, he knew where to turn. Shortly after his observations studying the coast of Britain, he began using a computer to map out every Julia set, both in search of possible matches, and to confirm his suspicion that Julia sets were marked by this fractal property. End quote. Jump forward in history and in medium, again, Jesus Nahara, but now 29 September 2020. Quote, The search for the 3D Mandelbrot set slumbered until 2007, when one amateur mathematician by the name of Daniel White provided an insightful shift in the frame of reference. White's insight, his contribution, was to interpret the definition of the Mandelbrot geometrically. This made working in the 3D much more practical. Instead of rotating around a circle, complex multiplication, as in the normal 2D Mandelbrot, He instead rotated around phi and theta in three-dimensional spherical coordinates, x, y, z. Recall that the Mandelbrot set highlights the escape behavior of starting with varying complex constants and iterating through z squared plus c. White aimed to replicate this geometrical boundary-limit relationship. Same as the Mandelbrot conceptually. White imagined squaring a hypercomplex point, z, to arrive at a new point, then add the remaining constant, c. In reality, It's a bit more involved since simply squaring z provides the magnitude, or the distance, to the new point. However, this is still missing the direction. In what direction is this new point placed before we add z? End quote. And this could get really complicated, but this being beneath the lighthouse is not, strictly speaking, a mandible. It is only an approximation because it has been altered, and it moves because it is alive. Lena steps toward it, looking into its light. Second twelve, angle past Lena on the mantle bulb. The light inside like flower petals grows outward and peels back around the edges. Expands into itself, expands into itself, expands into itself, expands into itself. itself. The camera moves right in front of it, leaving Lena out of frame to the right. Straight particles of light are swept into the bright center of the being. Second twenty nine, reverse. Lena. The bulb reflected in both her eyes. The tunnel exit not quite a halo around her head. She takes a breath. Reverse, second 33. The bulb, green around its five edges, yellow coming out of its core, like some strange cactus exploding out of itself. The center lightens and widens. Reverse, second 37. From inside the bulb, Lena is surrounded by its form, the tunnel exit light just to the right of her. Quiet Second forty, reverse. The bulb fills the screen, an exploding and imploding star in the dark universe beneath the lighthouse. Second forty-five, extreme close-up on Lena's eyes from slight left. The bulb reflected in them both. A drop of blood sits on the side of her nose opposite, just in from her right eye. The drop moves, expands, and drips away from her skin, one large drop and two much smaller ones, the second 53 we see on the reverse are drawn into the bright expanding center of the bulb. Focus follows the drop of blood into the first blurry and then clear opening. The drop begins to do something and time out for this minute. We spoke. What was it we said? We're listening, watching, he wakes by the window and wanders at the empty place inside. Is all we are annihilation.